0: Well, for the last time, open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Because today is the last sermon in the series we started long, long ago. Open up to Acts chapter 28. Can you believe it? This is the 73rd Sunday since we began the series called Let's Go Change the World. And I know there have been a few Sundays that have been off from this series. But the 73rd Sunday, we started this series on, in September of 2022. And here we are. All of these sermons are, of course, available online. So if you want to go back through the series, sometimes people are taking a road trip. And on our app, you can find audio versions of all the sermon series we've ever done in the past. And it's a great way to just binge through a whole book of the Bible. But we're going to save the summary and the takeaways of this book for next week when we transition to a new series. But today we have one last chapter to cover. Paul, we left him last week, is marooned on the island of Malta. God promised to get him to Rome where he would share the gospel before the Caesar himself. So here's a picture of all Paul's woes on his way to Rome. He said, you're gonna get to Rome, and then here's what happened. There was a mob attack in the temple. He was almost tortured by Romans. Sanhedrin trial ended in chaos. 40 assassins planned to kill him. There was a stealth night military transfer, then a hearing before Governor Felix. Private meetings with Felix and Drusilla. She was a Herod. Case delayed and left for Festus. Two years! Then the rulers planned to ambush and kill him again. Festus offered him a crooked retrial. Then Paul appealed to Caesar. Then there was the hearing before King Agrippa II. They were lost at sea. Last week there was a shipwreck. Then the Roman soldiers wanted to kill him before the shipwreck. Finally, they are marooned in Malta. Now, today, Paul is going to receive a fatal snake bite. But in the end, he is going to finally arrive safely at Rome. Woohoo! Where Nero is waiting for him. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, I don't know where you're going in life. God's going to get you there. And the one word for the sermon today is unstoppable. At the end of the whole book of Acts, I want you to remember, if you forget everything else, God is unstoppable. Wherever he's leading you, whatever your life holds, whatever he's promised to you, unstoppable. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we enter the book of Acts one last time, that you would just fill our hearts with joy and confidence in you, because you are unstoppable. So many things and people and problems tried to stop the gospel, tried to stop your church, your messengers, your plan, your promises. They all failed. And here we'll see today that nothing can stop the Lord our God. Fill us with tremendous faith as we see how faithful you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts 28, here we are. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Now, that first verse, we're going we're to stay there a second, okay? After we were brought safely through. That's a miracle. They should have been dead at sea. So write this down, number one. God works miracles on Shipwreck Island. God works miracles on Shipwreck Island. After we were brought safely through. The ship went down. They all doggy paddled to shore or held on to planks. They got to shore and it was a miracle. Now they're on Shipwreck Island. So verse 1 should read, Then they were all lost at sea. Now here's a map. They were adrift for two weeks. Just as by way of recap, and guess what? You're all going to be so happy. This is a surprise. Someone bought me a new laser pointer. <laughs> and get this, whoever borrowed or stole my first one brought it back. <laughs> so now this is going to be a blast. Should I kind of like try and do both maps at the same time? Or maybe like keep my eye out there? I know, don't shine it in anybody's eyes. Watch out though, I've got two laser pointers. Here we are. They started down in Jerusalem after Paul's trial and then they went up here over to Myra and then down here in Fair Havens. They just tried to get here and they blown off sea. This right here is where, that's a graveyard for ships. That's where they were afraid. Remember this whole sea is as big as the United States of America. So two weeks they drifted. Finally they made their way here to Malta. And then we're going to follow his trip all the way up to Rome today. And, of course, here's where they are in the world. All right. So they were adrift for two weeks. It was about the distance from Chicago to Washington, D.C., that they drifted. There was no hope of being saved. They had lost all hope. And uh, it's been a rough few months for these castaways. And... We learned last week, the sermon last week was called Surviving the Storm. If you missed it, you got to catch it. Because maybe in your life, what you want, what you thought your life would be like, here's a picture, you thought it would be all rainbows. You thought that your life is supposed to be like this, okay? You're a Christian maybe, and you think God's going to take care of you, and so here comes my future. And uh, yikes. And that's not the way it goes down. Go on to the next picture. Um, what actually happens is that. The shipwreck. That's your future. Maybe that's how you feel. Do Do you feel far, far away from the life God was supposed to give you? Do you feel lost? Trapped? On the outside, geographically, are you not where you thought you would be? career-wise, with your family, with your marriage, or internally, do you feel you are far away from what you thought you would be? Do you feel like a failure? Do you feel like others have failed you? This is the feeling of shipwreck. Here's, Here's another picture of this ship, and you maybe feel like a castaway, like there's my life, and that's me on the shore, drying off. Hey, I got good news for you. God works miracles on Shipwreck Island. Your life will be steered into very harsh, dangerous, deadly places, and the ship might go down. God will bring you safely to shore. And there will be miracles on Shipwreck Island. You remember Gilligan's Island, right? Gilligan's Island, you ever watched that growing up? Who wants to be there? That might be how you feel. You drifted off course long, long, long ago. Why do trials like this happen? Well, let's write down a few reflections here. God works miracles on Shipwreck Island because trials prove his presence and his power. God is going to prove that he is with these castaways. He already proved it on the ship and angels showed up. Remember? Hey, you're all going to live. The angel said that and then left. God found them in the middle of the Mediterranean. God will prove his presence and his power on your shipwreck island when the storm doesn't stop for two weeks or two months or two years or 20 years. God will prove his presence and his power in your trial. Write this down. And trials test your reliance on his word. Trials test your reliance on his word. Remember last week Paul said, you can't leave the ship. You leave the ship, you die. They had to believe his word to survive. It was life or death. And, and overall, your trust in God's word is life or death and eternal life or eternal death. That just isn't demonstrated on a moment-to-moment basis. But it is life or death to obey the word of God. So when you're in a trial, your obedience to the Word of God over time shows if you're passing the test or failing the test. When life gets hard, you're more pushed and pressured than ever to either fall before your your Lord and cling to Him or drift away. The trial pushes you one way or the other. So trials test Your reliance on his word. Anyone can be nice on a good day. It's the bad days that test you. Am I right? Here's some pictures of people having a very bad day. Check it out. Their terrible day. your paint exploded at Home Depot. That guy got the worst haircut of his life. Uh, Sinkhole, swallowed the car in the upper right. And in the lower right, that guy got porcupined in the face. Hey, that's the day that the real you comes out. Okay. anybody can be nice when everything's going well it's when your life gets hard that you're squeezed and then the inside comes out and we're tempted when it's a bad day to, well that's, that's not me I was just having a bad day nope that's the real you in there I don't know who said this but somebody said you don't meet a person until you tell them no then and there you meet the real person when you don't get your way That is you. So trials test your reliance on God's word. And then write this down. Trials grow your faith in his plan. When your plan goes through the paper shredder, then you have to believe his plan is better. Better? How is this better? And you might, in your soul, be in an uproar at the thought that this could be better than what you had originally planned. Better, how can this be better? This is terrible, Shipwreck Island. Would have been much better if the ship just made it to Rome. Better? I heard an interview with the CEO recently of a cyber security company. It was pretty interesting because the person interviewing him said, how come these things keep happening? And the CEO said, because the hackers keep attacking, duh. And the guy said, well, can't you just like stop it all? And he's like, no, we can never stop it all. We will never make that promise to our customers because the enemies are always changing how they attack. And he said something very fascinating. He said, listen, we have to get it right every time. They only have to get it right one time and they walk away with $5 million. He's like, so we tell our clients, you have to have the best and you have to always make sure that it's covered. And by the way, it's usually an internal breach that covers the problem. I thought about that for a second, and I think there's a parallel spiritual reality there. God has to get it right every time. Do you realize that? Do you realize if God gets your life wrong, Satan wins? One time, if Satan breaches through one time, and God gets it wrong in your life, the whole world is going to go to hell. Do you realize that? Do you realize God has to get it right every single time, or Satan wins? And therefore, do you realize the confidence you can have that no matter how far the ship has drifted off and gone down to whatever island you're now on with these savages, do you realize God's got to get it right? And do you believe he will? Do you believe he will? Or do you really think your life is the one that's going to ruin the whole story? Have confidence during the trial that God will prove his presence and power. You will be tested and you must rely on his word. And your faith in his plan can actually grow on Shipwreck Island. But you can't throw your confidence away because it's going to be hard. Maybe you're the one who shipwrecked your life. That's a tough challenge too. It's your fault that you are where you are. Hey, even if it's your fault, God will work miracles on your Shipwreck Island too. So, verse 1 was worth pausing at. After we were brought safely through, (gasps) then we learned that the island was called Malta. (laughs) They got the brochure. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand they said to one another no doubt this man is a murderer you can see him all standing around right all these shipwrecked people show up you know they don't have anything now like like imagine getting to the destination like you're gonna go on this trip and like none of the bags arrive okay you're just on your own They've got nothing. So these islanders are like, well, let's help them. We'll help them make a fire. Then a viper comes out and is hanging from Paul's hand. And then they're like, oh dear. Well, he survived the shipwreck and now a snake bit him. He must be a really bad guy. I mean, he is cursed. Do you feel that way? I mean, he is cursed. That this is their talking, right? He is cursed. No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. That's really funny. They're just like this. How much time do you think he's got? They're just waiting for him to die. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. He, he must be a god because he just survived a snake bite. Let's go worship him. Now, we're going to unpack this, but you can write this down. Number two, God uses our trials to reach others. Number one, God works miracles on Shipwreck Island. Number two, God uses our trials to reach others. Other people are now seeing the presence and power of God, because of the trials of these people. Unusual kindness, strangers showing them unusual kindness because they're starving soldiers, prisoners, and sailors. It's rainy and cold, winter's coming. And so they showed them unusual kindness. And that bond then led to them making a fire. And then when they made a fire, a snake came out and was fastened on Paul's hand. Now, I just have to tell you, I'm glad this wasn't me. Because if after two years of crooked trials and on the ship and now we're not eating and then an angel shows up and leaves and now we're doggy paddling to the shore and we're trying to finally make a fire, if the snake jumped out and bit me, I'd say, I quit! I'm I'm done. It's over. Not Paul. Some people really don't like snakes. My dad really doesn't like snakes. Got a snake once. Friend gave me a snake for a birthday. And then the next day, the jar had tipped over in the garage. The snake got loose in the house. And my dad wanted to burn the house down. Mom stopped him. <laughs> snakes are a no-no in our house. I don't know about you. I got a snake video here. Check it out. This is just a viper. His extended and he makes contact. Like many vipers, it's a well-camouflaged and effective ambush predator. It's common throughout much of India. Mm. Although most active by night, it will bask in the early morning sun, often bringing it into contact with people. When it comes to snake bite, intent is all. And the scale viper always strikes to bite. Yikes, here's the next picture. This guy's got a close call. What would you do if that was you? You're, you're on this island and now boom, the snake's hanging off your hand. Yikes, I also am just like, why is it the Christian apostle who everyone concludes is cursed? Why, how come God allows them? It? Does God realize he's got Paul and Luke on this ship? Most of the New Testament is about to be sunk. In the sea, and then what? Peter's going to write it all? Like, I mean, come on, Lord, let's, let's go easy on these guys, right? That's not the way God works. So God uses our trials to reach others. Why is this happening? Other people are watching. If you're in a trial right now and you're going through it, you have to realize that one of the reasons God is allowing this is so that other people can see his work in your life. That's why it's a big mistake. Sometimes when Christians are going through trouble, they get real quiet. Well, I don't want to tell anybody. No, I don't want to. Uh, you're, You're missing out on one of the main reasons why God's leading you through this. So you can show other people that God is with you and how he's working. That's why. One of the reasons why. So write this down. We suffer so others are amazed by his power. We suffer so others are amazed by his power. So other people can say, look what God did in that guy's life. Now here, they're literally watching Paul to wait for him to drop dead. It says in verse 6, they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead because they know how snake bites work. Here's a picture of uh, symptoms of snake bites. Um, So what should have happened is dizziness, fainting, increased thirst, headache, fever, breathing difficulty, bleeding, fang marks, discoloration, all these things. They all should have numbness, tingling, sweating, passes out, rapid pulse, severe shock, nausea, vomiting, like he should have dropped dead. We're not used to uh, running into poisonous, venomous snakes. We're kind of more worried about spiders kind of around here. But Venomous snakes in the primitive parts of the world are one of people's greatest fears. Do you know the cost of treating a poisonous snake bite today could range between twenty dollars and $140,000? You got good insurance? If you get bit by a poisonous snake, the cost could be between twenty dollars and $140,000 for the anti-venom. The dollar value of this miracle alone was astronomical. In the rainforest of Venezuela, we know missionaries down there, and they, of course, don't have the anti-venom. So if someone gets bit by a snake, a poisonous snake, and... Trust me, you will die very quickly if the wrong snake bites you. They discovered long ago, by trial and error, that if you're near a generator and they bear the wires and shock the wound, there's a chance that it neutralizes the venom if you get shocked quickly. So, like, somebody gets bit in the head and they come at you with the wires and your only chance is electrocution or death. All right? Because you have to take immediate action or you die. These islanders knew the deal. This guy was a dead man. You also have to remember, we don't get how polytheists see the world. So the gods are everywhere. There were 3,000 gods just in the sea that they had to worry about. Now you and I, we don't live that way. But this is why the missionaries tell us it's hard to adjust to a polytheistic view of life when you start reaching people. You can't just reroute a river. It would make the gods mad, the gods in the river. In some cultures, they don't drink the water directly. They throw it up in the air and drink it so that the evil spirits have to leave before they take a drink. Do you realize how different the worldview is for polytheists? Gods are everywhere. And if you make them angry, you're dead. So they're reading the situation. Shipwreck. All these people survived. Wow. The gods must have been really happy. This guy gets bit by a snake. He's the problem. He's the problem. The gods. The gods have judged him. That's why they say here in verse 4, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he had escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now one of their gods Was that one one of the gods is is now struck him. He's being divinely sentenced to death. They see this as a spiritual act. There's a divine curse on him. Now, here's where it gets theologically intriguing because is Paul a murderer? Yes. He's killed Christians. Should he be judged by God or the gods? Yes. And yet, God saves this man from a fatal wound. That's the gospel, friends. That's the gospel. This man who was a murderer, who should have been judged and killed by the gods, a curse was upon him. Instead, the Almighty God has rescued him from the bite of the viper. That's the gospel. It's being acted out. Write this down. So others are amazed by God's power. And so others realize we have something they lack. Others will be amazed by God's power, and others will realize we have something they lack. So reading on in verse 7, they concluded he was a god. Well, no. Wrong. Wrong. Verse 7, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, naming Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Wow. So others realized they have something that they lack. They realized that Paul had the very power of Almighty God to heal everybody on the island. These are, of course, miracles, signs and wonders done to prove that Jesus is alive and we should believe what he said. We've done a lot of work on miracles and healings in the past, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But the Bible doesn't say, find a healer. The Bible doesn't promise you to be healed of everything. This is a miracle, and miracles are miracles because they don't happen, okay? So almost always, God's plan for your physical illness and sickness is, yes, you can go to your elders, ask to be anointed with oil, and invite God to heal you. But almost always, it'll be the natural outworking of that disease where God will demonstrate his presence and his power. And in the end, something's going to take you out, you know, who knows what it is, uh, but they're There is going to be a natural flow within your body. Here, miracles happen. Many miracles happen. And when miracles happen, here's why. To give credibility to the messenger and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the miracles happen. Okay, That's why the miracles happen. To authenticate the message and the messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. That's why you don't run around getting miracles everywhere because it happened in a special time to authenticate the message and the messenger. That's why these miracles are happening. So others are realizing we have something they lack. Publius is seeing it. And and all the diseases on this island are being healed. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. we have to see the symbolism here given the biblical portrait of the gospel. So you have Paul the apostle who gets bit by the snake. God saves him from that venomous wound and revival breaks out. And then Paul demonstrates a power over all the physical diseases on the island. We have to see the symbolism here. This is the gospel being lived out. Here's one more picture of a snake. Check it out. And this represents the spiritual battle that is happening everywhere. In Christ, Paul is able to overcome all the forces of earth and heaven that oppose the gospel. Physically, he can heal anything. And spiritually, he is overcoming their false belief that all these gods are living out there and they have to make them happy. That's false belief. Spiritually, they are being shown that there is one true God who has power over everything. So the natural and the supernatural is where Jesus reigns. Paul is cursed and doomed as a murderer, and yet God neutralized the venom physically and spiritually in this man's life. God saved Paul and empowered him to go as a missionary to reach the world, and the incredible power of the gospel was surging through this murderer. Do you realize the gospel truth is for you? Do you realize... Are you amazed by God's power? And do you realize that people who are saved have something you lack? You need the mercy of God to come upon your life. You need the forgiveness of God to neutralize that venom of sin. You need God to set you free so that he can dwell in you and use you. And if he will save and use Paul, it doesn't matter what you've done. He will save you and he will use you. That's the gospel. Wow. So number one, God works miracles on Shipwreck Island. Trials prove his presence and power. They'll test your reliance on his word. They'll grow your faith in his plan. Number two, God uses our trials to reach others. We suffer so that others can be amazed by his power, so that others realize we have something they lack. And number three, you can write this down. Regardless of the trials, God is unstoppable. Regardless of the trials, God is unstoppable. So, looking at verse 11, it says, After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Ha! Nice of the sea gods to finally show up for him! These are the twin sons of Zeus that are now leading the way. Better late than never. It's ironic. I think even this for the polytheists would be another sign that the one true God is provided for them. Wow, this ship is here to take us to Rome? Oh, I think it would give them wonder in the one true God. God got them there safely as he promised. So reading on, it says this. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days and here it is, here it is, here it is. And so we came to Rome. Here's the list of trials again just to remind us one last time. Ah! I'm glad God doesn't Give me a list of all the different things I'm going to go through in the future. I don't think I'd get out of bed in the morning. But God promised, like three years ago, you're going to go to Rome and appear before Caesar. Then all this happened. And finally, faithfully, here's the next picture. Paul arrives in Rome. Check it out. What was it like to get there? This is this is the seat of power in, in the mighty Roman Empire. Can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you the ship coming in, and then they're walking up land, and then they finally, off in the distance, they see it they get closer and closer and closer. And then they're in Rome. And Paul's going to appear before us. Caesar. Wow. They came to Rome, verse 15, and the brothers there, that's Christians, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So regardless of the trials, God is unstoppable. About five years had passed, two years spent in prison, six months at sea, three months on the island, since Acts 19.21, when God promised that Paul would appear in Rome. So my question for you here is, what is God making you wait for right now? What good thing, maybe that's even promised in God's word, Is he making you wait for right now? It's taking longer than you thought. It's gotten harder than you desired. Are you waiting for something? Many times people wait for a job. They wait for a spouse. They wait for direction. They wait for a relationship to be restored. We learn here that during the wait, God is in total control. When God promises something... He's unstoppable. Even when all hope was lost, God sent an angel and got them where they were going. Do you have hope, as Paul said last week on the sinking ship, do you have hope that it will be to you exactly as you have been told? I can't see it. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I have faith that it will be exactly as I have been told. My God will come through. I know you want to be at the verse where it says, Paul thanked God and took courage. It finally happened. There's a lot of things in my life I'm waiting for right now. Some of them I've been waiting for years for God to show up. To do something. He thanked God. He took courage. You'll get there. We'll get there. But what a sweet moment of resolution in Paul's heart. And what faith he had all along the way. I love that after the trial... God is clearly the hero. The trial is going to strip you of all self-righteousness and self-reliance. That's all going to be gone. It will all be gone. And if you still think you can't, psychologists will often break, they will break down a person into two fundamental categories. If someone comes in, psychologists, they're kind of trained, there's there's a huge threshold. If people come in to get counseling therapy and they still think they can get through this, it's a game changer. But when they cross over into I can't, now you've got big problems. I, I, I can't. Now you've got big problems. And listen, the trials will drive you past that threshold where you say, I, I can't. I, I can't. That is where you realize God can. Right there. But if you still think you got this, It might get harder and harder. After the trial, God is the hero. Once in the kitchen, Lauren asked me to open a pickle jar when our kids were younger, and so I, sometimes I exaggerated things, you know, when the kids were around like an audience, and I, boom, I opened the pickle jar, and then I'd say, I am a superhero. My daughter, Ellie, she always would have a zinger. She said, Dad, if you were a superhero, you'd be wearing a cape, not a Portillo's T-shirt. She's right. I am not a superhero. At the end of the trial you go through, God's the hero. God's the hero, not you. God is the hero here. So reading on, it says in verse 17, Paul's not out of trouble yet. He's still a prisoner. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to the brothers Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. All right, so what's going on here? What's going on here is the people who started this crooked trial and let it go on for years and years, and then even tried to get him to kill him out on the streets, this is what's called they chickened out. Okay? They, they didn't show up. They said, No letter! None of them showed up to press the case because everyone all along said you don't have the case, and by the way, you're trying to kill them. You're going to get big. if they show up, they know they're in big trouble. So Paul's going to languish here for two years because uh, they chickened out. But verse twenty-two, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, that's Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against when they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So jot this down. God's church is unstoppable. God's church is unstoppable. Paul, shipwrecked, island, showed up, in chain, doesn't matter. Church keeps going forward. God's church is unstoppable in Rome. The kingdom of God is a huge theme, both in Luke and in Acts. Luke, in fact, starts and ends the book of Acts, mentioning the kingdom of God. And here it says in verse 23, testifying to the kingdom of God trying to convince them about Jesus. And then it says from the law of Moses and the prophets. So Old Testament showed that the Messiah would come. So God's church is unstoppable, and God's kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, is unstoppable. Reading on. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your father's through Isaiah the prophet. Don't miss that. Remember, the Bible is not a book written by men. The Bible is a book written by God through men. The Holy Spirit through Isaiah. Do you hear that? Don't miss this. Listen, your salvation can depend on you listening to me right now. You getting into heaven or hell can depend on you listening to what I'm saying right now. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, and then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9-10, to 10, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart, ear, eye, heart, has grown dull. With their eyes they can barely with their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart. And turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Hey, God's church is unstoppable, and yet people here still refuse to believe it. The Jews are still crossing their arms saying, yeah. There's supposed to be a contrast here between those, uh, the people on Malta, revival breaks out, they believe, they're like, wow, God's at work, this is incredible. And the Jews here being, looking into the scripture and being like, no, I don't believe it. Yet the Bible even predicted their disobedience. The kingdom of God means Jesus is a king. So the question you have to ask and answer is, is Jesus your king? He is a king and the kingdom of heaven is his, not yours. So have you accepted Jesus to be your king forever? Have you entered into the kingdom of God? If so, you are a member of the church. And the word used here is salvation. Salvation is what's being proclaimed here. When it comes to being saved, the kingdom of God, it talked about by the law and the prophets, we have to be saved. It says here the way to be saved is to turn. To turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Have you turned from your way of life? Have you turned from your sin? Have you turned and therefore have you been saved? If you turn, then God will save you. But have you turned and will you be saved? God's church is unstoppable. It was spoken of for hundreds of years. And what we need from Jesus is to be saved. Paul, the prisoner in Rome, is sharing this good news with them. Finally, you can write this down God's word is unstoppable. God's word is unstoppable. When I first finished the book of Acts as a new Christian, I was really disappointed. I was like reading it, reading it, reading it as a new Christian, and then I'm like, where's the next chapter? Because listen to how it ends. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, there it is again, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then I was like, what happened next? What? It just ends like that? But I actually really like the ending now. I really like the ending now. Because the bottom line is the word that ends the whole book uh, in the Greek is unhindered. Unhindered. Unstoppable. I love that. I love that ending. Unstoppable. With all boldness, without hindrance and the story carries on. Therefore, you and I, we are in Acts 29 right now. We're living it out. This is God's world tour, and he is unstoppable. Here's one last picture of Rome, and I want to say this verse together as we bring this study to a close. Let's say Acts one together. Here we go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It happened. It happened and it's happening. And we are a part of the spread of this story. So we have to go and tell our world the good news. All the people in the book of Acts are in our world today. Lydia's out there somewhere curious about God, wealthy, well-to-do woman. Cornelius is a good guy, and he needs Jesus. Timothy's got massive gospel potential, and he's just waiting to be mentored. Luke is someone who can write. There are people who are ready to write down God's wonders. John Mark chickened out. Then he finally turned out to be a courageous, bold author of one of the Gospels. The Philippian jailer is around there somewhere, and his life got rocked, and he thinks he's going to die. He's asking, what must I do to be saved right now? Felix is around in your life, and he thinks you're crazy. Agrippa's in your life, too. Somebody whose family is so messed up, he should be doomed, and yet he's curious. He's curious. Yet he's taking his sweet time responding to the gospel. The Apostle Paul's out there somewhere, zealously destroying somebody over his personal crusade. And when he gets saved, somebody needs to put their hand on his shoulder and say, brother, brother, the Lord Jesus has sent me to you. The centurion on the sinking ship is out there. His life's about to end. Look around. These people are all around us right now. We have to go and tell them the good news. And on that note, let's close the whole series in prayer. Jesus, what a book filled with your glorious presence and power. It's unimaginable, all the wonderful things that we've heard in this book. We believe that you are alive, Jesus. We believe your spirit is still at work, saving souls forever. So we say as a church, here we are, send us. Send us. If your word is unstoppable, if your church is unstoppable, use us. Send us. Oh, Lord, help us to reach out with the life-changing message of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would save souls forever through the spread of your word in our community. I pray, Lord, that you would show up doing miracles and wonders and powers and signs in ways that people understand. I ask, O Lord, that Jesus would be lifted high in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that you would be highly exalted. Yes, be highly exalted. Bring to remembrance all the wonderful things we read about in this book. And Lord, if there are any here today who have not, as the Bible says, turned and been healed, repented and been saved... In their own heart, either online or in person, I I just invite them to pray with me. These are not magic words. They're simply sincere words from a humble heart. But Lord, I pray that you would lead them right now to pray, Jesus, save me. You can say that in your own heart right now. Jesus, save me. I turn from my sin. I believe you are the risen Lord. And I ask that you would save me from sin and death and hell and Satan. Heal the venomous wound in my soul. Save me like you saved Paul. And use me like you used him. Lord, if anyone is praying, repenting, and asking to be saved, fill their soul with joy. Lord, even if they feel like their life is one big shipwreck, you will meet them, restore them, and use them. Oh Lord, save souls forever and fill them with all the joy of heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.